Hey guys, and welcome to the Poland Technology Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder. Being a technology leader myself in Poland, I often get asked about technology here, be it technology trends, how to access Polish tech talent to build and support applications, or how can we sell our tech or service in Poland. Therefore, I created this podcast, which is targeted at tech leaders who want to learn more about Polish tech. We will interview the people who've gone through these experiences and learn from their success as well as failures. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Garrett Lewis. Garrett is the founder of PopLocker, which is a mainstream crypto wallet. He's also the former head of investment bank technology for Poland and Eastern Europe. Today, Garrett's going to share his experiences of AI and blockchain in Poland. Welcome to the podcast, Garrett. Hi, Ken. Great to be here. So, who is Garrett Lewis? Tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so you basically, I've had a, a quite a long twenty-year-plus career in in finance and in in technology. Starting off as a as a software engineer, even though I am now based in in Poland, you know me well, Ken. Um, but from, your listeners will tell from my accent that I'm not I'm not Polish. I am a I'm a Brit. My career in, started in the UK through, as I said, through finance and technology building and running engineering teams and ultimately took me to to London where I think a lot of careers in the UK end up with UBS in the city of London but UBS do a lot of outsourcing in in Eastern Europe so I five years ago with UBS I came to Poland initially to Krakow in Poland to start running teams here I have to say when I first came to Poland I came for six months only it was a six month assignment and that was five years ago and I'm still here so something about the uh, the layer of the place uh, kept me here. But yeah, just really had a great career in Poland. And, and now looking forward to other ventures. And you mentioned at the top, PopLocker and a crypto wallet, which I developed. So, so involved in that and a, and a few other inventures working with some of the, the great talent here that we have in Poland. Awesome. So tell us, how did you get into AI and blockchain and crypto technology? Okay, well, I mean, particularly with my role at UBS, it's always important to stay um, at the emerging end of technology. I think we've seen quite a lot of interesting innovation in the technology space. And and for me, being an engineer at heart, and I am, I am an engineer at heart, this is the stuff that's interesting to me, and really answering those questions, where can we push the boundaries of technology? And I think if you look at recent trends, I think everyone would agree that artificial intelligence and blockchain really have come and they are pushing the boundaries and these are the the new trends obviously there's a, recently we've seen a lot of other trends we've seen big data we've seen cloud but i i attend a lot of hackathons or investor events and for sure the last couple of years they've been dominated by artificial intelligence and and blockchain solutions so for me it's just really interesting to see what smart and talented technology teams in poland are doing with these technologies at the moment and can you give us some examples? I mean, that's very interesting. You mentioned about, you know, this new and emerging tech in Poland. And I think our listeners would love to learn more about, you know, could you give us some examples of companies that are working in this space? Or do you find it's easy to get talent with this kind of experience in artificial intelligence and blockchain? Or is it more these people are learning as they go? Yeah, no, no. I think what we've discovered is that definitely the experience and the expertise is is out there. So, I mean, I guess to give some more 
concrete examples, or maybe to give some background on on why I think uh, sort of what attracted me to Poland and why I think I managed to be successful in Poland. I mean, I have through my career I've done outsourcing in many places, um, Eastern Europe and, and India, various countries in in Eastern Europe. Always seem to come back to Poland, where I think there is just you have depth of talent here, but you also have very modern skills. So what you see in Poland, you see very good education system. And people come out of the universities in Poland ready to go into modern jobs with corporations or with startups or whatever, but with modern skills. And if those, if the market is calling out for AI, artificial intelligence skills or, or blockchain skills or whatever the market needs, Poland manages to deliver. So yes, going back to the, to the concrete examples, as part of my role in, in, in UBS, I, I led an organization where we, we built an artificial intelligence team in, in Krakow in Poland. And we also built a blockchain team in Wrocław in Poland. And for me, what, what really impressed me was there was no shortage of talent. We didn't find any difficulties in terms of re- resourcing and hiring these roles. The level of just the depth of talent in data scientists for artificial intelligence is there. You can find it. And what you find with these technologies is people want to work on it. So yes, certainly there's there's another population of people that you won't find people that are trained, for example, how to write a smart contract on a blockchain from a university. No, but people are enthusiastic about this technology. They want to learn, and therefore you do find people that you know have done it maybe as their main job or maybe as their as their sort of hobby. But yeah, sure, you, the skills are there. Wow. And so where do you think we're going with what's next in terms of the AI now and the blockchain? I mean, so you've built those teams here in Poland, uh, where, where are you going with next with this? Yeah, okay, so for me, uh, I think maybe take those two technology trends separately. And for me, I think the interesting question is, where are we pushing boundaries? And what are we doing that is is truly innovative? And I think it's very important to apply quite a critical lens to this with any emerging technology and emerging trend, there is a tendency to think as it's a solution for every problem. And of course, it's not. And it's important to be able to identify what are good solutions for an AI or, you know, or a blockchain solution. And I think there are a lot of, let's say, a lot of bad solutions out there. And lots of times people come up with um, yeah, a solution where perhaps it's, it is a square peg in a, in a round hole. It's not the right solution. So I think it's important to understand what a good fit is. So let's take, for example, artificial intelligence. And particularly at the moment, I went to an investor conference recently. And what you see, artificial intelligence has become accessible to a much wider audience, largely because of a technology called TensorFlow by Google. So TensorFlow is a neural network. Throw enough data at it, you can train the network to solve problems. So now every startup can build an artificial intelligence. And there's definitely a trend. But if you're an investor, you're probably thinking, well, which one should I invest in? Which ones are good use cases? So it's very important to understand what an AI can do or what a trained neural network can do and what it can't do. And for me, really here, this is this is another step on a long journey of automation. So for 50 years or longer, technology has been automating tasks that were done done by people. And artificial intelligence really is is the next step on that journey. 
So what you're looking at here normally with AI solutions is a productivity play. So do you have a big enough data set to train a network to replace something that would have been maybe done by a team of operators? And I think for some businesses, that's a great, that's a great fit. You know, they're going to see value in that, but it tends to be the more established businesses. I think you've got to look very closely at some of the more startup opportunities to say, well, does automating a process, are they ready for that? What does it really help? But that's one side of AI. Probably the other side of AI is, okay, is it just about automating process or can AI, AIs actually do something superhuman? And for me, that's an interesting question. I think that's you know the, the question that we should be thinking about and we should be trying to answer. And there clearly are examples where an AI does do something superhuman. We've seen AIs that play chess better than humans. We've seen AIs that play Go better than humans. So, and the way they do that is, you know, a chess playing AI will have played more games of chess in a few hours than any human can possibly hope to do in a lifetime. So they've, so that's what's given them this superhuman, if you like, capability. And the, so again, you apply a critical lens to various use cases and you think, can we deploy an AI into our business? Is it an efficiency play? Are we just trying to reduce our operating costs? Or actually, are we trying to push the boundaries of something? And I guess classic example of pushing boundaries at the moment would be self-driving cars, where, okay, yes, we're replacing the first step, we're replacing the human with the AI. But the question then is, can we actually become superhuman? Can the AI become superhuman? Can it drive a car safer than a human would? Now, so I think that's an interesting area. And for me, that's, that's the frontier of AI at the moment. And as I sort of said earlier, there is a lot of now people have accessibility through TensorFlow or whatever to train networks. The key thing is the data. So an AI is only as good as the data it's been trained with. And that's why people say that, yeah, data now is, uh, is the new asset of a company. If you have enough data, then yes, you can really train networks to push at those, uh, push at those frontiers. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And what, you know, we mentioned some very, quite interesting points there about, um, the business case. So in your experience in Poland, I mean, how did you come up with these business cases? How do you assess them? I mean, you know, you mentioned about, you know, blockchain is only relevant to certain user cases. Same with AI. Um, so how did you go about that? How do you generate that innovation? Yeah, exactly. And so, so, so I suppose my experience of uh, building AI teams in, in Poland has been very much in that, in that first category of its inefficiency play. And I mean, to be honest, we were swamped with use cases. So there was more much more, a much bigger pipeline of requirements and potential use cases than we had the, the capacity to deliver. And a lot of it's very exploratory, but it's very easy. I think it's very easy to imagine use cases for an AI. It's, yes, we want to automate a system. Can we t train a network to do it? Do we have enough data to do it? And like I said, it's just applying that critical lens to it to say, actually, is this just an efficiency play? Or are we actually trying to do something that we couldn't do before? And very rarely are you in that second category where you're actually trying to do something that you haven't done before. So I think you just need to recognize that. We, And then you, it's very simple to do a, a revenue case to say, okay, if we train a network, what does that mean for our, for our costs and our, and our bottom line? But there's one other important point that I think I'd like to sort of highlight about artificial intelligence and, and training networks, and that's bias in data. And it's something that we we encountered and something that, frankly, I think all AI teams encounter is that you have to recognize that your data 
probably contains, almost certainly contains bias. And I'll, I'll give you a real use case. Imagine you have a an AI that does anti-money laundering checks. So it looks at a number of data points, and then it makes a decision or a classification to say, we, you know, we believe that this client or this organization may be a red flag. Maybe we may need to flag them as a potential involved in anti-money laundering activities. And the way that works with an AI is you train, you have all the data from, from your anti-AML, anti-money laundering team that do this. And then great, we can put all that data into a neural network and we can train the network to do what that team does. But trust me, that, that network is going to inherit all of the biases of that human team. And when we talk about biases, it can be anything, you know, it can be gender bias, it can be diversity, it can be racial, whatever it is. But you just have to be very aware that these data sets have biases. So in the example of anti-money laundering, let's just, just as a hypothetical example, say that the team commonly saw if it was uh, someone exporting coffee from Colombia, they commonly red flagged it. And maybe that, you know, a lot of those flags were false flags, but it was a bias. If you train a network with that team's data, you're going to inherit that bias into your neural network. And again, that's something that I really think people need to be aware of. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, a lot there about teams. So obviously it's key. I always say, you know, it's people that make the business and drive the business. So how did you go about building that team? Was it mostly internal people? Do you bring in or is it all external people? How do you then work with the business and how do you get them involved in the project? Yeah, so yeah, to say that it was, these were internally teams we built. And, and that again, is, it comes back to the accessibility of talent. I mean, maybe a better example is the blockchain team that we built, which we actually didn't even go to the external market because we had the skills internally. And as I said earlier, these not necessarily people who nine to five every day are working with blockchain technologies. But when we actually just put the request out there looking for talent, we found exceptional talent to people that in their own spare time had developed these skills and we actually formed a blockchain team without making a single external wow. hire. And I have to say, we delivered some uh, some very interesting technology solutions with that team. But I suppose what the greatest thing to see about that was actually the enthusiasm. Nobody needed any persuading to come and work on this project. It was quite the opposite. <laughs> Everyone's hand shot up. Uh, People I wanted can, to. I can imagine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and it's great when you've got that. Yeah. And were you working then kind of globally on that project or was it all based out of Poland? Or I know you can, you can yeah. only share so much information with us now, but I'm more interested in how the collaboration worked and the communication and how you managed that. Yeah, so so you're right. Um, I mean, the, the cases we're, we're talking about with UBS, who a large international bank, but don't necessarily do banking activities in Poland. So for Poland, it's more about the um, the techno the operations activities and the technology the technology build. So that that's an interesting challenge because it means you're never actually that close to your business. And so there's it's very important when you're in that model to keep strong connection and a strong communication line with your business. So actually, what we had with this this particular project, we had travel to locations and we had. As you would with most development projects, we had very frequent sort of meetings, sync up and, and, and catch up meetings. 
But you have to just make sure you, as much as possible, you're removing the the intermediate layers. And in this case, we were we were very lucky. We had a, a very senior stakeholder leading the project who was having you know FaceTime with the developers on the project every day at, at some point. Um, at the end of the project, he was so pleased actually with the way that it had had gone out of his home pocket. He sent a it's a very welcome gifts to the to the developers on this project and that's the kind of close relationship they built up and we are talking about you know someone who was a very senior stakeholder closely collaborating with talented engineers in Poland and I have to say this this guy was certainly sold he, and he hadn't worked in Poland before and this guy was 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 100% sold on the you know on the offering that that Poland provides and, and particularly the the talent from these uh, from these guys wow that's fantastic and in terms of the challenges you faced i mean what kind of challenges did you face and how did you overcome those challenges? I mean, even within the team or the new technology or the collaboration side of it? Maybe you can, if you could give some examples or share some experiences, that'd be fantastic for our audience. Yeah. So, I mean, you always get, uh, you always get lots of challenges when you're, uh, when you're innovating and when you're building new things. I mean, and actually, I mean, different challenges in, in, in different projects, I would say, but one of the common themes was actually the something I alluded to earlier. More, there were more potential use cases. There were there were more solutions being thrown at us than we had the capacity to do. So then you think, okay, well, well, how do we prioritize these solutions? Which, which options have we got budget for? But again, I would I would say it really helps to apply that critical lens. There are. Just because there's a lot of people throwing potential proposals at you doesn't mean they're all good, and you need to sort of filter out which ones would benefit from this technology and which ones uh, wouldn't. And I say that I think I highlighted AI earlier, but it's very prevalent in, in blockchain. I see a lot of I see a lot of use cases being proposed where blockchain's the solution, and really blockchain's probably not a good solution. It doesn't mean there aren't good use cases. There are some excellent use cases for blockchain technology but there's also yeah there's there's many bad ideas out there as well very interesting thank you Garrett. and you know in terms of poland and new and emerging technology what's the trend i mean where it's where is it going in poland uh, compared to other countries and if people want to learn more about new technology in poland you know how would they go about it yeah so yeah as i said earlier i do generally i would say that in poland people are very aware of New technologies and trending technologies, and and you've got a workforce that are actually very accustomed to to working quite near the leading edge. Now that's a challenge, actually. For it can be a challenge for a lot of large corporations working in in Poland. Some corporations have have technology that's a, a long way away from the leading edge. So, but that's there's a level of I would say expectation amongst the very uh, high end of Polish talent pool that they will be working on on the latest uh, technologies. And I think, as I said earlier, there's, these technologies are really accessible now. I mean, fortunately, um, a lot of it is it's, it's open source, it's free, whether you want to train a neural network or, you know, there's, there's some interesting event stream processing technologies or whatever, but they're all very accessible. You know, people can access them, download them, play with them and what what you find in Poland is yes you you've got people that want to be current they want their skills to be current and you've also got plenty of employers who expect to find people with with current skills um yeah so for me 
there's always different uh, trends emerging in in different parts of the market. But the most important thing is you've got smart and inquisitive people, and that's yeah. certainly what I see around me. Yeah, fantastic. I couldn't agree more. Can I just jump on to Pop Locker and, you know, how did you come up with the idea? I know you got involved with the Ethereum Foundation on this. And what's next for Pop Locker? Yeah, great. Yeah. So Pop Locker is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a project that I, uh, I founded and, and led. Uh, it's actually is live in production now, but with many more enhancements coming. And, um, as you said earlier, it's, uh, it's a crypto wallet, but I would describe it as a, a bit more specifically as a uh, Ethereum DAP browser and wallet. So it does a few different things. It's targeted on the Ethereum blockchain, but its its aim is to be accessible to make Ethereum transactions, crypto transactions, and Ethereum applications to make them accessible to the mainstream. So there's, and this was really a vision I had, and it's a thought I had that wouldn't leave me in. And it's something that I call the the adoption trilemma, and I'll explain that. So, in I think you speak to people in in blockchain, and particularly the Ethereum community, they talk about the scalability trilemma. And the scalability trilemma tells you it's very hard to satisfy three things. Those three things being scalability, security, and decentralization. And trying to achieve all three at the same time is difficult. And there's various efforts in the Ethereum community with Ethereum 2.0 to solve the scalability trilemma. Well, I, I came up with an alternative concept that I call the adoption trilemma. And here, similarly, we're trying to resolve three things at the same time, but this time it's adoption and i.e. mainstream accessibility and security and decentralization. And PopLocker is, and I would argue it's successful, but it's an attempt to to solve that trilemma. So it's, can we, without sacrificing security and without sacrificing the decentralized nature, can we actually come up with a, an experience, a, a wallet and a DAP browser experience that is accessible to the mainstream? As I said, I, I had this, once I had this idea, it wouldn't leave my head. So it's not, isn't, this is not a commercial product. It's an open source, a non-commercial product. So I looked for funding for it, and, and I was I successfully pitched to the Ethereum Foundation, who offer grant funding. I successfully pitched to them to fund the project, and that's when actually that's when me and you Ken we started a we started a, a fantastic collaboration with Opstalent to to build the product, which we did, and and the product is now it's now successfully released. It's out there. I should give a URL, shouldn't I? Poplocker.io. The big limitation with the current product is that it's desktop only, so it's not it's not mobile. And for various reasons, not least the adoption trilemma, the product is really not ready. I, I feel it's not ready for a big mainstream push until we have a mobile version. And this is where I need a second round of funding. And I I have had conversations. Very, I would say let's, let's characterize them as very optimistic uh, conversations recently with some other grant beneficiaries in the Ethereum space. And I'm optimistic that this project will be funded and that this great collaboration with with yourself and Upstanet can continue yeah, and um, and we'll be able to push out a mobile version yeah. of PopLocker. So very, for me, it was it's a little baby of mine. You know, it's something I'm very enthusiastic about. There's a lot of cool tech going on in there as well. If probably won't mean a lot to a lot of people, but <laughs> gasless transactions and gas relayers. So there's a lot of cool tech, blockchain related tech going on there. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting project with hopefully with a bright future. 
Yeah, very exciting. So what's next for Garrett Lewis? I mean, where, where are you going? I mean, I know you'll still continue to work on Pop Locker. Are you going to stay in Poland? What's next for you? Yeah, exactly. So so I definitely want to uh, stay in, in Poland. As I said, uh, five years ago, I came here and I've, uh, you know, n- never felt like I wanted to, to leave. I'm still here. So yeah. definitely want to stay in Poland. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm involved in a in a few other uh, initiatives. One of them is really exciting. I think I, they won't mind me giving a shout out to it. It's uh, a company called Audacity that do decentralized company formation on a blockchain. That's a really exciting company. I mean, literally with one click, you can deploy the whole legal construct of a company. People that work for that company then earn equity in that company. It's very, very futuristic. Maybe that's the way to put it. It's a very futuristic concept. So I'm involved with those guys now. Um, so that's very interesting. A few other. Sorry, is that a Polish company or? So this is not a Polish company, but it's not an anywhere company because, um, there's people all over the, all over the world contributing. I was, yeah, on the phone to someone in Russia yesterday. There's someone in Buenos Aires. There's someone in London. So this is wow. a very district. I have to say it's not, it's not Polish. I'm the only Polish uh, <laughs> member as far as I know. But it's a very distributed uh, company. But as, as I said, quite a quite a futuristic vision. So that's that's another another exciting one. Yeah. Cool. Great, Garrett. Listen, well, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Um, how can people find out more about Garrett and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. So I think definitely follow me on on uh, LinkedIn. That's generally where I'm pushing out updates. So. Um, I guess there'll be a, a link to my to my profile along with this podcast. It's but if you're looking for it, it's Gareth T. Lewis. Don't forget the T. But yeah, look me up on on, on LinkedIn. Like I said, my my schedule is a number of things going on, so my schedule is pretty pretty full at the moment. But I'd definitely be looking for sort of new new collaborations and uh, yeah, new exciting opportunities in the new year. Fantastic. And when you say new collaborations, are you mostly interested in the crypto space, Garrett? Are you open to other technologies also? Well, I mean, I'm interested in the fintech space. I think, you know, I do have uh, an extensive background of uh, financial technology. And I think, yeah, you look at use, use cases and look where we can innovate and blockchain is one solution, but it's not, it's, you know, it's not the only solution. It's a blockchain is a, is a personal interest of mine. I've been involved in developing on blockchain solutions for, for many years, actually. But I think, yeah, I mean, you know, even looking at this, the company I mentioned, Audacity, blockchain is not the only solution. There, there are other ways to do decentralized company formation. And we're looking at lots of different ways. And I think so. So, yeah, I think a, a wider, a wider fintech focus. really. Fantastic, Eric. Well, listen, thank you again for your time today. And I wish you all the best with Cop, uh, PopLocker and uh, the rest of your projects in the future. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks a lot, Ken. Really great to be here. Thank you.